Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. What is up, everybody watching online? We want to say, hey, thank you for joining us for another week of Church Online. I know that this has been uh, a different season. We've been doing this for six months. If you would have told me seven months ago, hey, we're going to not have church in person for six months, I'd have said, you're insane. There is no way that's happening. And yet here we are six months in to church online. But hey, we're believing very soon we're going to be able to meet in person. Our building's almost done downstairs. We actually have um, some of our team and staff, worship team here with us live in the building. Make some noise, guys. Thanks for being with us. And uh, let me tell you, it makes it a lot easier to preach with them here than when I was just talking to you on camera. Um, but hey, we hope this message encourages you, builds you up. Thanks for being the church, even in this moment of church online. We do believe we're going to be together in person very soon. Uh, but I want to talk to you today, uh, looking at Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Let me be real with you. Uh, we are going through a tough moment in our nation, in our lives, in our history. Uh, if you, you know, compile everything going on, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, there's, you know, racial unrest with police brutality and justice conversations happening. There is, uh, man, there's, there's so much happening around us. And then you throw in the fact that in the last few months, the Black Mamba and now the Black Panther has died. Uh, man, it, it's hard. I, I'm a big Black Panther fan. I had to tell my kids because my kids... Love that movie. It's literally their favorite superhero movie, and they were heartbroken. But, man, it feels like so much going on around us. And even this last week, uh, another, another shooting of an individual, a black individual, at the hands of the police. And now it feels like chaos around us again. And i got to be real with you. Uh, I had a message prepared because we have this series, and our series planned out really for the whole year at Project Church. And I had this message coming from Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. I wrote it, and then I was like, God, I can't preach this message today on, like, the children coming to Jesus. And so I started writing a new message because I was like, I need something more appropriate for this moment. And then I felt like God said, no, I gave you that word. I knew this was coming. I want you to speak that word over my church, your church, our church, because this is something we all need to hear and so I'm believing that this word is for us, and it's for this moment. Even though we've had it planned for months, um, God knew what we were going to be walking through this week, and he wanted us to hear this. And so I want to read from Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Before I do, uh, the title of this message is Do It For The Kids. Everybody say kids. Do it for the kids. Now you hear this saying, right, and people will say it. They'll put it on their Instagram, their social media, like, do it for the kids, and this is a moment and a, a text, a story from Jesus that is about the kids, and actually we see it recorded, this specific story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so it's in three of the four Gospels, so anytime there's a story in one of the Gospels, like, okay, this, this matters, when it's in two of the Gospels, it's like, hey, we need, we need to pay attention, when it's in three, it's like, hey, this is for real, we need to take this to heart. Um, this is a word we all need. This is a story that is of utmost importance. 
And so I want to read Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Let's jump in here. Thanks for jumping in online with us. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So, very short text, quick little story uh, from Jesus' ministry about him, you know, saying, no, let the children come to me. So looking at this, you know, I was thinking, like, what is the most important takeaway from this text? And I think that the most important takeaway from this text is the call to become like children. That's the number one most important takeaway, is that Jesus, he ends it and he says, look, if you're going to receive the kingdom of God, you have to become like children. But the second most important takeaway is the fact that a touch from Jesus and the blessing of Jesus goes far in giving us the life we were meant to live. And I would say the third most important takeaway is that Jesus cares about the kids. Like, the kids matter to Jesus. And so I know some of you are out there going, man, Caleb, I don't have kids. Um, well, guess what? Most likely, someday you will. The odds are pretty strong that someday you'll have kids. Uh, maybe you're right now saying, my kids are all grown up and old. I want to tell you this. What you do for the next generation matters. How you live for the next generation matters, whether you have kids or not. So you may never have children, and yet we still are living for the kids, for the next generation, for the kids that are coming after us. And so this is a moment in our history when we need to be thinking about the kids more than ever. We need to be thinking about what are we setting up for the future, for the next generation, for those coming after us, whether we have kids or not, whether we ever will have kids or not, how you live, what you do right now in this moment in history, it matters. And so what I want to do first is I want to dig in here and talk to you about bringing your children to Jesus. And so I know some are like, oh, this doesn't really apply to me. Someday it might. Um, and for those of you that already brought your kids to Jesus the best you could, um, this is a good reminder for all of us in how we love our children. But I want to set up by just letting you know that there's a teaching called the Talmud. Now, the Talmud is the central text of rabbinic Judaism. It was the primary source of Jewish religious law and Jewish theology. And so the Jews of this day, who all lived in Israel, they followed the Talmud. And the Talmud would tell them that they were to bring their children to a rabbi, a teacher, and so what these, it says they, right, as this text we just read said they were bringing the children. They're actually following their Jewish theology, their Jewish teaching, by bringing their children to a rabbi. And they saw Jesus as a rabbi. And they brought their children to the rabbi based on the Talmud for three reasons. Here's what the Talmud told them. Number one, that when a rabbi touched and blessed their child, they would become famous in the law. That's what they're praying for, that their children would become famous in the law. What does that mean? Not that they would 
become famous, right? We're in a fame culture. Everyone's looking for it. No, that they would learn and know the word of God. The, this word famous in their teaching would mean they, they understood it, they learned it, they were, were well versed in it. So, number one, the rabbi would pray over them, bless them, that they would become famous in the law. They would learn the word of God. Second is they would pray over them, bless them, that they would have a good marriage. I think we all want that for our kids, right? That they would have a good marriage, that marriages would last. Chrissy preached on marriage last week. And uh, so they would bring them so that they would have a good marriage. That's what the rabbi would pray over them, bless them with. And then third, that they would be known for their good works. So not just that they would be famous in the law, they would know the word of God, they would know the law, but they would actually put it into practice, right? They'd be known for their good works. They would live out the word. It wouldn't just be a head thing, it would become a heart thing. And so these individuals are bringing their children to a rabbi in Jesus because they want him to do what the Talmud told them to do. Um, they want him to bless their child. That these three things would happen. They'd learn the word of God. Um, they would have a great marriage, a good marriage. I have a great marriage. Um, uh, and, and then third, that they would be known by their good works. And so I want to start today off by talking about bringing your children to Jesus. So first, you need to put Jesus first. Everybody say first. Put Jesus first first. Now, I am all for athletic ability, athletic prowess. You guys know I talk about my basketball escapades of my childhood and college age too much, and you're all sick of hearing it. But I love athletics, right? And my kids play multiple sports, and I'm going to continue with that. Athletic prowess is great, but it cannot come before Jesus. It cannot come at the cost of my child's relationship with Jesus. And let's be real, the odds are little Johnny ain't going pro anyways, okay? Let's be real. Let's keep it 100. Now, is there anything wrong with athletics? No. But what I love about this pandemic, and I don't love a lot of things about it, but one thing I love about it is it stripped away the idol of sports. And sports became and has become an idol in the lives of Christians in the lives of followers of Christ, as well as in our world. It is an idol. It's become a God to us. And so we cannot put our child's athletic ability ahead of their relationship with Jesus. In the same way, vacations, right? Trips, taking family. I mean, those are great things. I want experiences. I took, we took our kids down to SoCal, um, you know, a couple months back in July. It was amazing. We had an amazing time. We've gone to Tahoe. We've, we've gone, you know, all over the place with our kids. But again, that cannot be the priority. I don't want my kids to go, oh, we go to church when we have an open weekend once or twice every summer. I want them to know that church is a priority, and then every so often we get blessed with a trip away. You have one shot with your kids. You hear me? One shot, like Eminem said. You have one shot. <laughs> Do not miss your chance. You have one shot. Don't blow it. And I, I, I mean, that sounds harsh, but it's real. My, my son, I actually told my wife the other day, I said, Chrissy, did you know that our oldest son has already lived half of the years 
He will live in our home with us. We are already halfway to him being out of our home. And she immediately was like, don't say that to me and started crying, you know. Um, I'm like, no, he's halfway there. How many of you know time goes fast? Like life is a mist. And we have one shot. Listen, I'm all for family time, athletic ability, school. I want my kids to learn and, and to be smart and to grow in that and their education. I'm all for family vacations and trips. These are all good things. But none of those things can be prioritized over Jesus. If you're going to be a lover of God, you have to God, love what God loves. Let me tell you something. God loves the church. And the, our kids need to see that church is a priority. I was just reading, um, you know, statistically speaking, there's this window. They call it the 414 window. That 87% of people who follow Christ in their life accept Jesus into their life between the ages of 4 and 14. 87%. So that means, and, and listen, people get saved all the time. We've had people get saved in our church every single week since this church started seven years ago. So it happens. But it is rare. The, between the ages, they call it the 414 window. Between the ages of 4 and 14 are where 87% of people decide to be a follower of Christ. They may walk away, and some of you have had children walk away, but I want to tell you, the Bible encourages us that if you raise a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he won't depart from it. I believe those children are coming back. So some of you that are waiting and praying for your children, trust me, I believe they're coming back. Don't give up hope. Keep praying for them. But that is the window. So what does that tell you? It tells you and I that if we don't prioritize Jesus and the church, between the ages of 4 and 14, we may lose our children. We may lose them. And let's be real. What matters in this life is where they're going in eternity. That's what truly matters. I mean, we want to do great things with our lives. I mean, I want to, I want to do great things. I want to have purpose. I want to, you know... Fulfill my dreams. Dreams are great. All these things are great. But at the end of the day, this life is here and gone. Eternity is very long. And so we must prioritize Jesus. Teaching community and life among believers is of utmost importance. So I know we're not gathering right now. Some of you are like, Caleb, you're talking about going to church. Like I'm just sitting in my living room watching online right now. Um, the, the time will come when things are back to normal. My challenge to you is you would prioritize church with your family. Second, bringing your children to Jesus means teaching them the word of God. Now, Project Kids, we got Heidi back here and some of the Project Kids workers in the house. Um, Heidi's our kids director. She's done amazing. And we love what they're doing with our kids. But can I just tell you, like, anything Project Kids does is supplemental to what you do. It's supplemental. I mean, they have them on a Sunday morning when we're meeting for, you know, an hour and a half. And you're, you have them the rest of the week. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You, everybody say you, shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house 
when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Now, some of you are going, I'm, I'm supposed to teach the word of God to my children? It's hard to convey what isn't in your heart. And so it has to start. So my challenge to you isn't just get out there and teach your children. My challenge to you is, are you teaching yourself? Are you in the word of God yourself? So a couple weeks back, my daughter came into my room. And she comes in our room in the morning a lot. And uh, I, I read the Bible every morning. And uh, this year, for whatever reason, I've been listening to the Bible a lot more. I've always read. Um, but this year, I just was like, I kind of want to mix it up. So I have the Bible app, and you can actually listen to it. You know, you press play, and it, this voice, depending on the translation, um, reads you the Bible. And so I had it on in my room, and um, the Bible's reading, and I think I was journaling a little bit. My daughter comes in, and she lays on the bed, and she goes, Daddy, I love hearing this in the morning. I love the sound of this in the morning. I don't even know if she knew or knows that it's the Bible. Now I told her, I said, yeah, this is the Bible. Oh, I love, I love the sound of this in the morning. But there was something so encouraging to me that she recognized it. You know, that it was almost like encouraging and soothing. And I think part of it was just the consistency. That in the morning she hears this voice and it's the word of God. Now is she soaking it up like, maybe not, but maybe some of it is. And just... Seeing that example from her parents, I believe that's going to, you know, go miles in her life. That she'll say, oh, I remember my parents reading the Bible in the morning. I remember, I'm not great at teaching my kids the word of God. I teach you guys as a church probably more than I teach them. But I'll tell you this, conversations come up when I had to tell them that Black Panther died. That led to a conversation as well, what happened to him? Where did he go? And now I can use the Bible to teach them what the Word of God says. I'm not saying you got to sit down and let's do our devotion, guys, every single day. Maybe you, you could. But sometimes it's just answering questions and having conversation. And I'm able to tell them, like, we have hope that we're going to see him again because actually he loved Jesus. I've read about his life. He loved Jesus. He grew up in church. I listened to speeches he gave, Chadwick Bozeman, that is. That's who I'm referring to. He's the Black Panther. Where he used scriptures to encourage people about their purpose. And I'm able to teach them that there's a life to come, that there's an eternity coming that encourages them and builds them up with the word of God. Third, bringing your children to Jesus means praying together. You know, I, I've always, since my kids were little, prayed with them at the end of the night. Prayed over all our meals. And my kids, they want to pray. And it's the same prayer every single time. And it's simple. And it's childlike. Often not theologically correct. But you know, we're praying. And there's something about leading my family and prayer becoming a part of our lives that I believe is being rooted into them to as they grow older and prayer and struggles get real... And life gets real and struggles, you know, are happening around them that they remember I can go to God for whatever I need. Just a couple months back, I had a little cold and my daughter, I was laying on the couch and she knew I wasn't feeling well. She just walked up to me and said, Daddy, I'm going to pray for you. Put her hand on my head. 
God, help daddy feel better. It's that simple. But I believe that that is being rooted in her. And as she grows older, she'll continue to walk in that. Fourth, bring your children to Jesus by giving them quality time. Listen to me. Love plus time equals influence. I want to have influence over my children. I want to influence their future. I want to influence their decisions. I want to influence them moving forward as I do right now. And that comes from love and time. Quality time. Our dinner table is our quality time with our kids. All distractions are gone. Phones are off the table. And we just talk. And we do highs and lows. And we ask about, you know, our, how everyone's days were. And, and we play games at the table. And so they're like, can I go? No, you can't go. We're having family time. Sometimes you got to force it. But I believe we're planting seeds of love. We're planting seeds of time. And I believe our influence over them is going to continue to grow as they get older. Bringing your children to Jesus. So I know some of you don't have children. Some of your children are gone. But we cannot forget the importance in this moment of speaking into our children. So what happens here? I want to get back to the text. It actually says that the disciples rebuked them. So they're bringing the children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, these are mothers and fathers bringing their children to Jesus. And I want you to hear this, because I think sometimes we're like, oh, it's the mother's job. The moms, they're going to, you know, teach them and guide them spiritually. No, we need, we need fathers and mothers leading their children together. We need godly fathers pointing their children to Jesus. This is the most important thing you will ever do. Bringing your children to Jesus. And then it goes on, and Jesus responds, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And said to them, let the children come to me. The message puts it this way. But Jesus was irate and let them know it. He was irate and let them know. He let the disciples know, this is not okay. Don't stop these children from coming to me. I shared this a couple weeks back, that children in this day were of little to no value in society. It wasn't like our day. Like, we value children above all else. In fact, almost to a fault where our children, like, dictate our lives, dictate our schedules, dictate our lives. Um, like, they're running the show, and that's not a good thing. You need to run the show, okay? And in this day, though, they, children have little to no value because they often died. 50% of children didn't live. They would die most of the time before the age of, you know, five, six years old. And so what happened was they wouldn't allow themselves to get connected to the children. They didn't want their heart getting attached. Because if they got attached and they lost them, it would be difficult. And so children were often of no value. They were pushed to the side in this society. And yet here they're bringing the children to him. And I believe, and, and studying it more, one of the big reasons wasn't just because the Talmud told them to, wasn't just so these three things happened to them, that they learned the word of God, that they had good marriages, and that they put the word of God into practice. One of the real reasons was they wanted them to live. They're like, if Jesus just touches our children, we know they're going to live. And I think in this moment, in, in our 
country, we need to take this to heart. That number one, our God is a God of life. And anytime death happens, our hearts should break. Death was not God's intent, and he hates it. And one day there will be no more pain, and there will be no more death. But right now, I want us to hear that a touch from Jesus means there is life. Now, it doesn't mean you don't die here on this earth, but it means when Jesus touches you, when your life is given to him, you know that you have eternal life. That's why bringing people to Jesus matters more than anything. I'm not just talking about the kids. I'm talking about the adults. That's why as the church, we must be passionate about bringing people to Jesus. Why? Because a touch from Jesus means life. And they knew if we bring, if we can just bring our children to Jesus, he's risen people from the dead. He's opened blind eyes. He's healed lepers. He's made the lame walk, the blind see. If we could just bring our children to Jesus, they'll live. And in this moment in our history, we need to get more passionate than ever, church, that we would bring people to Jesus, adults to Jesus, kids to Jesus, everyone we know to Jesus. Because we know if they get a touch from Jesus, they'll live. Eternal life. And our hearts should break anytime there's death. The disciples' rebuke was probably as much about the people that were bringing the children as it was a dismissal of the importance of these children. You see, they're, they're rebuking the parents. They're going, we, we have a, a rabbi trying to teach right now. Excuse me. Excuse me. We, we got some serious business to attend to. Can you... Can you keep the children away? And I believe the disciples were discounting the power of a touch from Jesus on these children's lives. And some of us have forgotten or we've discounted the power of a touch from Jesus. And, and we're in a lot of debates politically right now. And we're in a lot of debates about what justice looks like right now. And, and we need to stand for justice. I'm going to get there here later today. But... We need to prioritize a touch from Jesus. Because we know that the power of Jesus transcends whatever it is that anyone is walking through. The power of Jesus will set someone's life on a trajectory that changes forever. And I think we're distracted right now and the enemy loves it. We've taken our eyes off the main thing right now and the enemy loves it. And, and we're going to stand for justice and we're going to stand for mercy and we're going to walk in empathy but we cannot forget our main call as the church, which is to bring people into eternal life. That is our main call, and I wonder if the church right now has forgotten that. He encourages the children to come, and he tells the, the disciples, let them. He says, don't hinder them. For it is the children that the kingdom of God belongs to, which leads to the question, who does the kingdom of God belong to? And Jesus says, for to such belongs the kingdom. Meaning, to such being a direct command for all of humanity to move towards childlike thinking, heart, mentality, and faith. Jesus says, for to such the kingdom of God belongs to. It is a call that every one of us, every one of you listening online, 
every one of you in this room, that we would become childlike in our faith. Childlike faith. And I think a lot of us right now are going, well, I'm grown. I'm grown. And Jesus is saying, well, you need to get ungrown. I'm grown. I'm a man. I'm a woman. You need to get ungrown. So when I started this message with the title of do it for the kids, I want you to know we're doing it for the next generation, but also we need to become kids again. We need to become childlike in our faith again. So that leads me to this idea of what does childlike faith look like? Because I think we hear this, and you're like, be childlike in your faith. And you're like, but what does childlike faith look like? Well, I'm going to give you a few uh, ways, I think, or a few directions as to what childlike faith looks like. First, it's unconcerned with outside perception. Childlike faith is unconcerned with what anyone thinks, what anyone might say. And I wonder if, you know, as we get grown and as we are more mature in our faith, that we can often get caught up in what people might say, in what people's perception might be. And I just want to tell you that your faith is going to be offensive to the world at times. Your faith and you prioritizing Jesus over everything else is going to be offensive at times. But you're not concerned with what anyone thinks. We were on a trip this week. My wife and I, we were in Idaho and we flew back on Thursday. And so my kids hadn't seen us for, you know, four days. And when we went to pick them up at school, my youngest two saw us and they ran to us. You know, like my five-year-old comes, jumps in my arms, Daddy, I missed you. My seven-year-old boy runs to me, Daddy, I missed you. And then my eight-year-old boy's like, sup. <laughs> sup, Dad. And he like, you know, he gave me a hug. But his actions were very different. And I realized, like, he's looking around at what the other kids are seeing. He cares about outside perception. While as a five-year-old little girl and a seven-year-old little boy, like, they don't care. They're not concerned about what anyone would say if they run to their dad and jump in their arms and get hugs and kisses. They're not concerned. And yet, in our faith, so often, we become more and more concerned about what people might think or say, and so we hesitate to say what God is asking us to say. In the same way, childlike faith is uncontained joy in the presence of our Savior. Now listen, weeping does last for the night. And I think in this moment, you know, I, I, all that I've been trying to process and wrestle with as it relates to like race and my brothers and sisters of color, who whether you want to say facts or not, feel that they're being mistreated at the hands of police is that I want to weep with those who weep. I want to walk in empathy with those who are hurting. And I, I think that in this moment, we, first of all, have forgotten as God's people that we do weep with those who weep. But then at the same time, we must come alongside in empathy and, and 
understanding pain the best we can and weeping with those, but we also know that joy comes in the morning. And I think that there's a moment right now of weeping, but God is wanting us to walk with joy and bring alongside of our brothers and sisters uh, joy because we know when we stay in the presence of our Savior, there's joy. Listen, I believe, and, and you may not believe this, but I believe that joy is our greatest weapon as the people of God. Because it doesn't matter what's happening around us. It doesn't matter the political climate. It doesn't matter, you know, riots and, and protests. It doesn't matter, you know, when, when people we look up to pass away. It doesn't matter that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Because of our God, we can find joy. Because of our Savior, we can, we can connect to the joy. And listen, happiness is a feeling that's momentary, that comes and goes. But joy is something that, that's unrelenting, that's everlasting, that stays within us. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy. And so as a follower of Christ, you can have moments of sadness and weeping. But joy is at the core of who you are. Why? Because it's one of the fruits that your tree is producing. What I think is we have lost the joy in the presence of our Savior because we've allowed outside circumstances to take our eyes off the Savior. And if our eyes are only on an election, if our eyes are only on protests, if our eyes are only on social media, if our eyes are only on a pandemic, and that Newsom has us walking through the seven levels of the Candy Candyland Forest with different colors and we can't understand what's happening. If our eyes are only on that, if our eyes are only on that, guess what? How could we have joy? But when our eyes are on the Savior, we say, I don't understand. I don't know what to do. I, I, I see our nation is hurting. I see division. But I know that my Savior has it all under control. I know that even though I don't see it, he's working. And so I will walk with joy. And I will walk with hope. And what I see is Christians have lost hope. Christians have no joy. But one of the fruits of our spirit is joy. We serve a God of hope. Can we as the church keep our eyes on the Savior? Because if we do, if we're in the presence of our Savior every morning during the day, I believe we will have an uncontained joy. And we'll walk with joy. And they'll be like, what's wrong with you? Do you know what's going on in the world? Yeah, but I still have joy. Why? Because I still have hope. Because I know my God is in control. Because I know that he may be using this moment to expose that which is broken in the system and that which is wrong in our hearts and expose the racism that maybe is at the root of some of us. And he's going to work all this for the good. That he's going to bring us out of this moment for the better. And on the other side, we're going to be like, dang, 2020 was rough, but look at where we are now. If we hadn't walked through the fire, we wouldn't have been refined into who God wanted us to be. Uncontained joy. And then third, unhindered worship at the feet of our God. 2 Samuel 6.16 
It says, the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. This is a great example of what our joy can do in other people's hearts. Of what our worship can reveal in the hearts of others. David is ecstatic because the Ark of the Covenant is coming into the city. He's so excited. The presence of God is being brought into our city. And he's leaping and I don't know what his leaps looked like. You know, he's (laughs) leaping and dancing. In another part of this scripture, he's actually dancing naked before the Lord. And his wife is like, look at this fool. It says she despises him in her heart. Listen, in all of this, everything we're walking through, if you continue to worship unhindered, I want to tell you, people are not going to understand it. But I'll tell you what it will do for you. It will continue to build the joy and the fruits of the spirit that you need to walk it out, to walk this life out in this moment. The reason Christians are struggling as much as non-Christians in the middle of all this chaos is because we have lost our connection to our Savior. We aren't making His Word daily in our lives. We aren't making worship a priority in our lives. We aren't walking in His presence every day. And so we feel just like everyone else feels. No, I'm not saying you can't have feelings uh, or momentary, you know, days when you're like, man, this is tough. I get it. But when you're in the presence and you're in the word and you're in prayer and you make your days full of worship, let me tell you, you walk differently. You think differently. You carry yourself differently. That's what children do. We were on our trip and our, my, my daughter's teacher sent us a picture of her worshiping. They had, you know, they put on some music. She goes to a Christian school. She's in kindergarten, and they show this picture of her, and all the kids are singing, but Charlie is just eyes closed, hands up, mouth open, just worshiping in the sea of all these other kids. And I'm just like, whoa, like, got that from her mother, you know. But there's something about that unhindered worship, unconcerned, and there's power in that because it feeds what's lacking in our lives. It gives life where it feels like there's death, or, or the gardens of our hearts and souls that feel like they're arid and dry. The worship actually begins to, to water the soil, and suddenly the soil is is more fertile and has more nutrients, and then the fruit of our life can begin to grow. What does childlike faith look like? Finally, we're going to close today. It's untainted faith by the influence of outside forces. Listen, church, there are a lot of outside forces right now trying to taint your faith. Trying to taint your faith. And I got to be honest, I've had to get off social media lately because I I just stopped looking at stuff. Because all I see lately is is Christians bashing the church for our response in this moment. Or I see Christians giving a response 
that I don't believe is the heart of Christ. So I get why those other Christians are bashing the Christians, and, and it breaks my heart. What I see, though, is the enemy is laughing. The enemy is so happy right now. Because if you believe that this is just a battle against flesh and blood, I believe you are grossly mistaken. We are in a spiritual battle because we know we don't battle just against flesh and blood. There are principalities and powers of darkness at work on this earth in our country right now trying to divide us. And what, the, what I see a lot of Christians doing right now is we're allowing everything that's happening to taint our faith. The influence of others, of outside forces, of what's happening around us is tainting our faith. And I must challenge you, children don't allow anything to taint their faith. My kids, you think they're worried about anything right now in this pandemic? You think my kids are stressed right now in this pandemic? You think my kids are going, man, I don't know how we're going to get through the chaos of this election. I don't know how we're going to survive the chaos of this racial unrest. Like, are we going to get, no. You want to know why? Because they know mom and dad got them. They know mom and dad are going to provide for them. We're going to feed them. We're going to protect them. We're going to meet them, you know, every day when they're supposed to be picked up, we're there to pick them up. Every time they need something, they know they can come to us and ask us. And if it's not ridiculous, we're going to give it. Dad, can I buy this skin on Fortnite? No, son, you can't. Sometimes you got to say no. The Fortnite parents get it. But listen, my kid's faith is not tainted right now by any outside force. And they're walking through a lot too. You know the kids, they see it. They know what's going on. We're having hard conversations with them about race, about equality, about the pandemic, about, you know, all the things going on, about the election. Like, I'm having these conversations about, with them. But let me tell you something. Their faith has not been tainted. Why? Because children trust no matter what. Children trust no matter what the circumstance, no matter what they're facing, no matter what they're walking through. They trust because they know that time and time again, we have got them, so why do they have anything to fear? We need to become like children because children do not let their faith get tainted. And the enemy wants to taint your faith right now. And too many Christians, and some of you listening right now, your faith has been tainted in this moment. And God is saying to us, just become like children. Children trust no matter what's happening around them. Children trust no matter the circumstances. Children trust no matter what they're facing. Why? There's no reason not to trust. Because they know every single time, we've got them. In the same way, God's going, have I ever failed you? Have I ever let you down? Have I ever dropped you? Have I ever not got you through a circumstance? Have I ever not used what the enemy intended for evil and turned it into good? Have I ever not taken what feels like a moment of division 
and brought it into a moment of unity? Have we not gotten better? Have we not seen progress in our nation over the last 400 years? Yes. How many of you know we are going to make more progress through this moment? But some of us are tainted. And I love what Micah 6.8 says. It says, what does the Lord require of you? He says, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does God ask of you, require of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Listen, children are humble. You cannot do justice. You cannot love mercy unless you walk with humility. And so what we need to do is become like children, humble ourselves. And when we do, we will be able to walk out the justice this world needs, the mercy this nation needs. These children, going back to the text, these children that are brought to Jesus are in the middle of a Roman occupation. You think it's bad here. I want you to imagine waking up every morning and you walk out onto your street and there's soldiers marching. I want you to imagine that protests are happening all the time. Like we've had a few of them. I'm talking about every week in Israel. Protests, why? Because individuals are rising up. They want to fight against the power of the Romans. You're in our nation. This is the nation of Israel. You're occupying our land. You need to leave. Fights are breaking out. Civil unrest. Political corruption. Sound sound familiar? Public beatings. Public executions. This is what these children are seeing. Chaos. And yet Jesus gives a call. He says, let the children come unto me. And in fact, if you want to receive the kingdom of God, you must become like a child. You must trust me in the chaos. You must trust me no matter what's happening around you. To, to such will receive the kingdom. So here's my challenge to us, church, that we would become like children that we would humble ourselves. We would not let our faith become untainted. We would become unconcerned with what anyone thinks about us, that we would walk with an uncontained joy that is found in the presence of our Savior, that we would worship, daily worship. Why? Because that's where our joy comes from. So may we become like children. May we do it for the kids. If you become like a kid, You're actually setting up the kids for a greater future, for a greater potential. So I want to pray over us that we would humble ourselves, that we would become like children in this moment. Lord, I just pray over your church, over everyone listening right now. I pray that you would let us humble ourselves and become like children. God, children are humble. They trust no matter what. They don't walk with fear or concern. They know that they're protected and cared for. So may we humble ourselves as children to be led by you, to be guided by you, 
Lord, we want to have childlike faith to such receive the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us in this moment to not allow our faith to be tainted by the outside forces of this world that so badly want to diminish and tear down what we believe. Lord, we need you. And we love you. It's in your name. Amen. Hey, if you're out there, church, um, maybe you're listening, you've never given your life to Jesus, today's your day. The Bible tells us that you just have to humble yourself like a child, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is and you'll be saved. So if you're out there and you're listening, you don't know Jesus, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me to receive him into your heart. Say this with me. Everybody in here, repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Change me. My heart, my mind, my life, wash away my sin. I confess that you are the Savior. And I want to walk with you with all that I have. I love you, Jesus. Build my faith in you and you alone. In your name, amen. Hey, we are so excited. If you prayed this prayer, this is the best decision you can ever make. Here's what we want you to do. Click the link below. We want to contact you, connect with you to help you in your faith journey. The church, we're praying for you. We're praying for our nation. We're praying for all of us in this moment. But may we become like children and may we lead our children well. God bless you guys. We're going to sing one last song before we go. Sing it with us. I hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.